Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. This week, we are discussing Back to the Future, a 1985 science fiction comedy film Directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. This was the biggest hit of 1985. It's a movie beloved by people everywhere. And it has more skateboarding than you would think. It's pretty damn fantastic. I uh, I really enjoyed rewatching it. Like many of the movies that we've covered so far, I hadn't actually sat down and really watched Back to the Future in 20 years and was uh, surprised by how what a what a quality and fun movie it really it really still was. It was a lot of fun. To me, Back to the Future has a few things like really going for it. The f- first among them is the script. I think the script to that movie is airtight. There is not a wasted line in terms of you feel like every line said early in the movie has some sort of payoff later in the movie. It's it's really kind of a marvel. I noticed that too. They really seemed like they really had a good time setting something up in the first 20 minutes of the movie that would then play itself out later in the film. And it was, it was, yeah, it was great to watch. It's really dense in terms of its kind of throwaway jokes in that way. I think it has better rewatch value than a lot of movies because of that. You pick up things you may not have watched on on an initial cursory viewing. Yeah, I think you're right. I was noticing that like every single like like sign or storefront in the modern time there was some callback to the 1950s version of it later on i would say the second big thing this movie has going for it is the casting oh man michael j fox at the height of his powers is it height or height 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 yeah there's no such word as height (laughs) the height of his powers and uh, I, I know, like, one of the stories about the movie is they wanted to cast Michael J. Fox initially and were told no because of his commitments to the situation comedy Family Ties. So they cast Eric Stoltz and filmed with Eric Stoltz, I think, for about a month before realizing that the movie wasn't working because Stoltz was playing everything just too seriously and how he was he was wrong for the Marty McFly part. And they needed someone with kind of Michael J. Fox's manic intensity and eventually like convinced Michael J. Fox to basically film the movie on the weekends and at night. Really? Yes. I, I was aware of the Eric Stoltz story. And I, you gotta, that's got to be a real bummer for an actor. You know, you know what I mean? To like sit, to, to show up and do like a couple of months of filming and then have somebody just say, this isn't working. Like, man, that's got to be a kick in the butt. I've seen some of the Eric Stoltz outtakes and footage. It's it's interesting. It's certainly not Marty McFly, you know. Especially when that movie then goes on to become the biggest hit of the year. Right, right. And you're the guy who who who, who was sent home early. Man, I mean it's it's not like Eric Stoltz hasn't had a pretty awesome career since then, but man, that's gotta be a that's gotta be a blow. He got to play Chet and kicking and screaming. He sure did. I'm paraphrasing myself here, but I like that movie a lot. This this third tome is really <laughs> <laughs> but even beyond Michael J. Fox, I think Leah Thompson is great. I think Crispin Glover is fantastic in this movie. 
um, just kind of this live wire of weirdness. I really like Crispin Glover. I, I noticed that he really was doing this very surreal, like in the in the the present day portions of the film before Marty went back in time. Him sitting watching the honeymooners, just doing that kind of ho 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 laugh. It really was like he was trying to do some like surrealist take on this totally sort of like emotionally muzzled dude who just was like, I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed that. Christopher Lloyd as, as doc Brown. I mean, I'm not the first person to, to make this observation. There's a, there's a funny John Mulaney standup bit you can find on YouTube, but um, it is odd that Marty McFly, a 17 year old high school student's best friend is a 60 year old crackpot inventor. It's like a funny observation to make, but it also, to me, doesn't matter to the film because it it's not something I necessarily question while watching it. I think Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd have really good scene chemistry together. I think it, they work on screen as, as like a dual act. So it's, you know, the casting was good enough that it tracks for me anyway. I watched Mulaney do that bit. I thought, wow, that is some, it is funny that I never even for a second questioned that <laughs> that friendship they just it appears on screen he goes over to doc's house to play some rock and roll on a, on a weird gigantic amplifier and they're just homeboys and it doesn't i guess it's got that kind of weird 80s movie logic where if you just present something and go okay moving on you just go oh yeah he's friends with a disgraced nuclear physicist <laughs> and i do think like the like one of the best things about this movie and it's one of the reasons I like this I like the first back to the future a lot and I'm not particularly fond of the sequels is how there's a lot going on about how you perceive your parents and how your parents were when they were kids and how does that shape your destiny to me it's like it taps into this like really rich vein that a lot of that a lot of science fiction movies do not and I think the sequels don't really like the sequels are more concerned with like surface level plot stuff. But I think the first movie, like on a thematic level, is doing a lot of heavy lifting as well. Time travel seems to be almost just the mechanation by which you get to you get to see Marty go back in time and realize that his mother was sort of a firebrand and that his dad, you know, the, the roots of his father's weird ineffectualness and uh, you know the relationship between him, him and Biff are just one of those things that you know, that literally affects an entire generation after it. And yeah, the movie seems way more about that. Whereas you're right, I think the second one is all about trying to unravel the the, the conundrum of time travel, which is, it's a frenetic, entertainingly paced film, but it's not about... It's about being a sequel to Back to the Future. And it's weird, it's weird watching Back to the Future now because I don't feel like there like there's a scene where the Biff character played by Thomas Wilson straight up tries to sexually assault Lorraine. And like you wouldn't have a scene like that in a PG family-friendly comedy these days. And to me, like that scene ends up on the side of not completely tasteless because Biff is such an irredeemable shit of a character anyway that that like it fits the character but even so, like it's uncomfortable to watch you know it's 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 funny I always make that observation like when there's a, a bully character who's got these sort of like minions you always have to wonder like at what point does one of the minions just kind of look at another one of them and go like does it seem like we're hanging out with like a, an actual psychopath or you know like I just wanted to be the wacky guy in the 3D glasses and now it seems like we're on a darker <laughs> Like we chased the guy around the town square and that was kind of fun and wacky. And we got 
manure dumped on our heads. But now I feel like I, I think I'm going to go maybe hang out with some, some, some cooler people now. Speaking of the 3D glasses, in the 50s and 60s, was that a thing people did? Because it's a thing people do in movies about the 50s and 60s is there's just one dude who's like I'm the wacky 3D glasses guy. Was that a thing? So, yeah, I, you know, what? I'm not sure. Maybe I think, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a way of hearkening back to like things were different in the 50s. 3D, 3D glasses were like the height of, not height, height of technological uh, advancements. That the, I, yeah, I'm not really sure, but you are right there. I, I, I can think of a few examples of times where other near-do-wells were sort of traipsing around with 3D glasses still in their heads. And I, I do think it's worth noting that, like, in 2020, we are now further away from 1985 than 1985 was from 1955. It is exactly how time works. Well, it's how time works, but is that how you perceive time? Because when I watched the movie, 1955 seemed like a billion years ago, like when I watched the movie as a kid. And 1985 does not seem like a billion years ago to me. But I wonder if if to someone who's a teenager, it would. Well, right. I, you, I have to wonder, like, if my, when my father was watching Back to the Future, was he thinking 1955 is only a couple of years ago as far as I'm concerned? It's it's like somebody pointed that out one time where the the, the that seventy show like were that seventy show to take place now it would just be like nineteen ninety eight or something like that like nineteen and it doesn't seem as though it was but that maybe that's just because of our experience like we we experienced nineteen eighty five and so it doesn't seem like that far in the past. I also think how you perceive culture is different from now relative to say 20 years ago that like you look at like 1950 to 1970 and it seems like things progressed at an alarming rate and you look at 2000 to now and things don't seem that alarming i mean everyone's got phones but i you know i had watched that movie boyhood recently and there are a lot of signifiers in that movie of like life from like 2000 to 2013 or so and it doesn't seem as alarming as like 1950 to 1970 for instance like that right. that 20 year period then again maybe what we're also talking about is just the version of the 1950s that you see in the movies were things really that much different or is it just based on your own experience of the time uh and then of course there's the uh delightful skateboarding chase scene in which Marty McFly invents skateboarding. And even before that, like Marty does a fair amount of skateboarding at the beginning of the film. He does a lot of hanging off of cars. I think a lot of that was Michael J. Fox. Like there's a lot of shots. I I certainly didn't like zoom in and really inspect, but it it seems like most of the footage of him skateboarding is, is Michael J. Fox. It goes back to what we were talking about, about uh, Police Academy 4, where you'd have to imagine that a kid at that age would have at least some experience riding a skateboard at least enough to be able to stand on the thing and like roll into or out of a shot i remember watching the film and seeing him trail along behind a truck or a car and think man that's the way to get around town and uh then i remember trying it one time and uh accidentally running over a sewer grate like a, a, a sewer cap and almost dying and thinking, wow, this is this is uh, not ideal because you can't see when the sewer cap is coming up. All, all you feel is you feel it go under your feet and then you almost almost get dragged to death behind a car. So it's certainly not the most advisable thing to do. Well, it's something I was thinking watching this, especially the beginning with Marty. Marty has a skateboard that he uses to get around town. He clearly wants the 4x4 truck instead. And I like, I don't feel like 
skateboarding is as integral to Marty's personality as it is some of the other characters we've seen in other movies we watched. I think it's something he does, but I don't think it's something he is. No, I, I think for Marty, it's a, it's a mode of transportation. I think that's a really good point. Marty, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me that Marty is a skater. He is a person who owns a skateboard, which is, is there's definitely a difference between those two aesthetics. I think that there's a certain, certainly a point in every in every young person's life where they probably use a skateboard as a mode of transportation versus maybe a bicycle or whatever. But so I think, yeah, I think Marty's ownership and riding of a skateboard has a lot more to do with just the fact that it's 1985 and everybody has a skateboard than it has to do with Marty being a skater. He does. He obviously does tricks during the big skateboard chase scene, but those are part of the chase scene. Marty's never seen like doing tricks just for the sheer joy of doing skateboard tricks, for instance. Now let's talk about that, that big chase scene that happens outside of the diner where Marty invents skateboarding. The skateboard he makes out of the, what is that, like a box? It's, it's So yeah, the precursor to the skateboard was the soapbox racer, which was like a wooden soapbox. And you would take a roller skate and separate, you know, because a, a, the kind of roller skate you attach to your shoe, you know, you could you could move the, the skate to fit different size shoes. And so if you just unscrewed that and pulled the skate apart, you could then nail it to the bottom of a piece of wood, and then you'd put a soap box on top of that, and that would be almost like the handlebars, like a like a homemade scooter, essentially. And then, yeah, in that in that moment, Marty realizes he needs to get away from the from the bad guys, and he 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 it's almost you know he like adapts the soapbox scooter to his to his personal needs and turns it into a skateboard. Yeah, because he was like, I wish I had my trusty skateboard to get away right. from these guys. And, and it's funny because there, there's some of like the, I don't think that one of those scooters would have, A, would have employed a board that wide. I think a lot of times it was it was actually like a two by four that they would put on the bottom. And I also don't think it would have had anything like reminiscent of a kicktail. But for for the purposes of the film, it was, a, it was almost a pre-ready-made skateboard. And he made good use of it. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a fantastic action sequence. I loved it. I, I is that that's another you know it's funny. I I always forget that this movie you know came out before a lot of those. This is 1985. So I've I've talked on a few occasions about how any little tiny bit of skateboarding that I could find in anywhere, I would just watch and rewatch over and over again. And I do remember you know, fast forwarding, you know, when, when I finally was able to rent that film, I would very, I would often fast forward to just the scene in which he tries to escape. Cause there's in terms of actual skate tricks uh, at the crescendo of the chase, the stunt person, by the way, played by Per Wellender, who was also in Thrashen uh, as Per Wellender uh, is the stunt double. And he sort of does an ollie, and he ollies off the jump ramp to make it over the obstacle. And I remember watching that as a little kid and, you know, like, you know, sitting an inch away from the, from the TV, trying to figure out how he moved his feet to make the board jump. And of course there was a, a ramp hidden so that, that, you know, to propel him higher up, but it was certainly a no handed Ollie that you could watch on camera and try to unlock some, some kind of clue as to how to do it. You know, I also remember being very, very enamored by the way he, stepped down on the board and made it kind of pop up into his hand, that sort of patented Marty McFly board pop-up that I that I uh I really, really 
responded to that and would of course stand in my driveway and try to do that over and over again to look cool. Because if there's any, if there's one thing for sure, Marty McFly is pretty cool. And I know that the sequels, it was one of the first times that they did the thing where they filmed the sequels back to back. Yeah. I remember the, it's so funny. Like it's so funny to think that pre, pre the internet, I certainly heard that both Back to the Future movies were being filmed and that they would be released in pretty short succession of each other, maybe with like a year of space. But I now I think back and I think, where did I hear that? Was I like watching a lot of entertainment tonight? I'm thinking you were. I think Tesh, I think Tesh <laughs> was laying it out for you. <laughs> Tesh had his finger on the pulse. What's, He's what's like, Tesh got to say? Yeah. Like, I'm gonna before I go perform at Red Rocks. <laughs> I have some things about these Back to the Future sequels. You're gonna want to hear. You're gonna want to hear all about it. You know, I remember being very impressed, at least by the pacing of the second one. The second one is like relentless. Like as far as like that Marty McFly energy, you know, that breathless. Like I, I remember being pretty impressed with like, wow, they really. It it, 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 the whole thing feels like it was like filmed in double time because Marty's just going ape shit trying to solve the the riddle of time travel. But it's it's but that's kind of all I remember about it. So I can't, I can't be much of a you know. What I mean? Yeah, I don't think I don't think anything in it kind of sticks with you. Whereas I think there's stuff in the first movie that does. Right. Well, and I think that goes back to what we were saying. Was the first one is a much more human story. I also remember the the the, the fact that Crispin Glover did he win like a, a some kind of crazy lawsuit where they like implied that it was him. They used an impersonator in this because Crispin Glover refused to do the sequels because, uh, according to him, I believe he didn't like the ending to the first movie because it's to him it seemed like the big you know win for Marty at the end was that his family had more material wealth and he didn't like that message. Um, even though it's a very, it's kind of a very like go, go eighties Reaganomics message. Right. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of movies like that where the, the end, the end messages and you get the things that you want, you know, like, like Arthur in, in the movie, Arthur like gives everything up for love, but then in the end still gets the money, <laughs> you know, like hooray. And there is no, I don't think there's any George McFly character in the third one. ZZ Top, for some reason, are there, but Crispin Glover is not. You know, the other thing about the sequels that drives me up a goddamn wall is they invent this whole thing about Marty not wanting to be called a chicken. That's his Achilles heel. And if you call Marty a chicken, he's going to like do all kinds of stupid things. And that is nowhere to be found in the first movie. It's like you end the, you end the first movie and Marty like learned a lot of lessons in his this kind of like wiser person about the world and you get to the second movie and it's like, well, we can't have that. He needs to learn new lessons. So we're going to invent this chicken thing. Well, because I think the major lesson that he learned is don't time travel. And yet he jumps right back in the old DeLorean moments later. (laughs) You know, there's not a ton of skateboarding in this movie, but when I would talk to people, especially people who are not hardcore skateboarding enthusiasts about the podcast and say, well, we're doing this podcast and it's about movies that have skateboarding in it. And like the first movie almost anyone brings up is Back to the Future. I remember seeing the, the preview and being like, I got to see this movie. Like it, it seemed like it was going to be the greatest movie ever filmed. And, and for a time, I think maybe it was. Well, you already loved Michael J. Fox from Family Ties. So. I mean, he, he's very, very charming. And now you get to yeah. see him skateboard. It's funny. As a side note, every I'm, I'm in school and every time I'm studying, 
I I remember Michael J. Fox in the opening credits of Family Ties where he like looks at his notes and then cross references it across the room and is he's right and he smacks the paper and I think I'm I'm just like good old uh, Michael J. Fox learning things. Although I am not necessarily a young Republican, but uh, there's a very little skateboarding in Family Ties. Yeah, that's that's always been my problem with that show. It's it's a blind spot. Let's face it. There's not enough sweet ollies. So next week, we're going to go with a recommendation from our friend Keith Darcy. Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Oh, that looks like a wacky fun fest, Kevin. I know very little about it aside from the fact that it looks bonkers and... Like of the people in my life who ever recommended things to me, uh, Keith Darcy is in the very upper echelon. So he, he's got quite a track record. I know that. So if it's if Keith if it's Keith Darcy endorsed, I, I'm uh, salivating. <laughs> I've I've previewed the scene where there is some skateboarding, and oh man, oh man, does it look like a a, a, a strange adventure to be sure. So I'm excited for that, and I hope you'll all. Join us as well. Excellent. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, Twitter and Instagram at Gleam the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Skateboarding is not a crime.